you can open your Bibles to the final chapter of Acts, will be in Acts 28. And so far in this series, we have seen a ton of stuff. Acts is one of the greatest stories uh, ever, and it tells us about how the church started, how the modern-day church started after Christ uh, went back to heaven. And so if you've missed any of the weeks, I'll give you a quick flyby. Christ ascends, he goes back to heaven, and he tells his disciples, you're going to do incredible things, but don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. And in Acts 2, very quickly, the Holy Spirit comes, and he empowers these bunch of sad sap fishermen into, be, uh, into being some of the most uh, incredible gospel-proclaiming people that the world has ever seen. And Peter, who just a few chapters before had been kind of cowering in the corner while Jesus was being tried, now is filled with boldness and strength, and he proclaims the gospel at Pentecost, and 3,000 people come to faith. And the church begins to grow, and there are miracles abounding, and there's run-ins with the, uh, with the, with the government. There are arrests and beatings. Stephen uh, is martyred for his faith. Saul is converted into Paul, and he becomes this gospel-proclaiming, church-planting monster that we know him to be. The gospel is sent to the Gentiles. There are shipwrecks and stonings and church politics and jailbreaks and spy missions and riots. And now here we are. We've climbed like to the climax of the story. And we, we, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, Paul has been arrested because the Jews are upset at some of the things that he's doing. He was in jail in Caesarea for a while. He appealed to Caesar, which was a thing that you could do as a Roman citizen. He got on a ship to go to Rome to visit Caesar. He got shipwrecked. He won a bunch of people to the Lord on the island where he was shipwrecked. And then he finally makes it to Rome. And so here we are in this moment where it's like the final showdown, right? Like Paul and the Caesar, the king of the Roman Empire. Like, for those of you who love a good story, it's like, all right, final chapter, let's see what happens. So open your Bible to Acts 28, and we're gonna start in verse 11. Verse 11 will give us a little bit of the background, uh, and then we'll get to Rome. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived in Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, they had heard about us, came as far as the form of Apius and three taverns to meet us. And on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we and the soldier who guarded him. So it's like, all right, Paul with the soldier, like maybe he's gonna you know, drop kick him and get away, or maybe there's gonna be a, uh, an earthquake like there was in Philippi, and he'll you know, make, a, make a daring uh, escape there. Or maybe an angel will let him out. Let's keep reading, verse 17. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, 
We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you, but we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And so what's happening is Paul's kind of giving the Jewish leaders in Rome a little bit of background about how he got there. And they say, hey, like, we don't have anything against you personally, but we have heard that this whole Jesus thing uh, is sort of causing some waves uh, in in the Jewish community. And so then Paul continues, verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. So he basically says, like, hey, get all your buddies and come, and I'll tell you. From morning till evening, he expounded to them testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said and others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through, the, through, through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Not really the epic ending that we were hoping for, right? In all honesty, you may be thinking to yourself, I've heard this story somewhere before. And you would be right, because this is what Paul does in every single city that he goes to. In every single city that he goes to, if there are Jews there, he talks to the Jews, he goes to the synagogue first. And he pleads with his brethren, the Jewish people, to believe in Jesus Christ for their salvation. And in every city, exactly the same thing happens. Some of them believe, Some of them don't believe. To those who don't believe, he prophesies against them saying, I wish you would open your ears and turn so the Lord could heal our nation. And from there, he turns then and shares with the Gentiles. He does it in Iconium and Thessalonica and Berea and Athens and Corinth and Ephesus and on and on and on. So here we are at the end of this story and we go, Luke, Luke's the author of Acts. We go, dude, Where did you take your story writing classes? Because this ending is lame. And depending on where it lands on your page, like you you might see there's only two verses left. How are we going to have an epic showdown with seizure with only two verses? It ends like this, verse 30. And Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And I, so I'm a story lover. Like I love to read. I love a good biography. I love a good fiction thriller. And I want to go, ah, what's next? Come on, man. Like, give me the rest of the story. What happens to the church? What happens to Paul? Does he die? Does he get out of jail? Where does he go after that? Like, I want to know all the stuff. And Luke just kind of, (laughs) open ending, sorry, sucker. But that's important. Okay, this is what I'm hoping to show you this morning. I'm not necessarily going to preach through that text, but I'm going to show you why the same old story is important. Luke ends the book of Acts this way. He doesn't tell us the end of the story, 
because it's not the end of the story. You see, if Paul was the main character, there would have to be a crisis in the end of the story. Like, or else this is a horrible story. But if there's a different main character, maybe this is just a chapter. And that's my contention this morning. My contention is that Paul's not the main character. Peter's not the main character. The disciples aren't the main character, but the Holy Spirit is the main character. That the Holy Spirit has come at the beginning of Acts And now he is building this church all the way through. And all that is happening here is we see Paul sort of, he's he's got a few more uh, years to live. Books outside of the Bible tell us what happened to Paul. Um, But he's got a few more years to live. And Luke leaves it open because it is as if Paul is taking the pen and saying, okay, Rob Shaheen, next chapter of the story is you, right? He's saying the next chapter chapter of the story is you, CVC. He's saying the next chapter of the story, Lori Weiser, here you go. He's saying the next chapter of the story, Hadads, here you go. What's it going to look like? As, As the Holy Spirit continues to move in and through your life, we have the opportunity to write the next chapter of the story. And so this morning, I want to look at four ways that we can follow Paul's example the early church example, to write a great chapter with our lives individually and collectively. Four parts of a great chapter, and the first one is this. Holy Spirit-empowered evangelism, okay? As I mentioned before, the main character in the story is the Holy Spirit, not the other guys. And what happens is when the Holy Spirit comes, he transforms these guys and gives them boldness and courage that they didn't have before. He gives them words to say that they didn't have before. And the church grows. People are believing in numbers that nobody would have ever expected. When Peter stands up, And he talks to the Jewish council filled with the Holy Spirit, Acts 4 says, more people believe. And when Philip is ordered by the Holy Spirit in Acts 8 to go to the Ethiopian eunuch, he believes. And in Acts 9, when Paul is converted, the Holy Spirit fills him and he immediately goes into Jerusalem and it says the church is multiplied. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes into followers of Jesus, they gain boldness courage, and words to say that they would have otherwise not had. And everywhere they go, they're opening their mouth with the message of forgiveness and freedom through Christ, and everywhere they go, people are believing and are saved. And so, what about you? Because the Holy Spirit is not left. He is still telling his story. We are, we, we, we are still empowered with the same power that Peter and Philip and Paul were. We were talking this week in some of our meetings about a trend in America. There's a serious trend, statistically, that people are not attending church anymore, that unbelievers are not attending church anymore Uh, in higher and higher numbers. People are leaving churches and where it used to be, like, even if you didn't really believe, like, you just kind of went to church because, you, you know, the thing to do, no longer. People aren't going to church. 
And so we, where we are at as a community of people in a post-Christian world today is that we must go and reach people where they are. Your efforts to invite your friends to church, while it's good, we, hey, thumbs up, invite them. Are, but here's the truth. Statistics would tell us that they are going to be less and less likely to come. No matter how cool we make this church, right, there are people trying to do all sorts of awesome things to get people to come to their church, but unbelievers continually are more and more unlikely to come to church. And so the only hope is that you and I would go and meet them where they're at in our communities and with the dads that are on your kid's baseball team and with the moms on the you know, boosters club, the band families, the people that you're in the office with, that you are in the office with. But there's another study that causes concern. Lifeway research found that over 80% of Christians believe that they have a responsibility to share their faith. Thumbs up, good. But only, but only uh, 40% ever do. Over 60% actually never share their faith, even though they believe they have a responsibility to do so. Listen to this one. Over 90% of evangelical Christians never share their faith with somebody outside their family. This is why churches are not growing. 20% of churches in the United States are actually growing, okay? So that means 80% of all the, the evangelical churches in the United States are either stagnant or declining, most of them declining. Now, listen to this. Out of that 20% that are growing... 19% of that 20 are growing by just shuffling Christians around, okay? I don't like that church anymore, so I'm gonna go to that one. Oh, look at we're growing. No, you're not. Only 1%, 1% of churches in America are actually growing because the people in their church are winning people to Christ. That's staggering and saddening. My hope and my prayer, and I know that this is the, that, that the pastoral staff of CVC would echo that, is that we would be in that 1%. That we would be a group of people who, we don't just have a nice building and things for your kids and a you know, worship band with a guy with a cool beard, so it's like, hey, come check out our church, it's edgy. But that we would be, but that we would be a church of people who are so on fire, so passionate about Jesus, that we would take the gospel to people where they are. When they say, I'm not coming to your church, we go, that's okay, I'll tell you about him here. And that they would put their faith in Jesus Christ and then come here or to another church and be a part of our community. We have got to be a group of people. More and more, we have got to be a group of people, a community of people that will go into the world and share the gospel. And I'm not talking about like, okay, Joe said I have to do this. So like you walk up to the guy's desk and you're like, so, uh, hey buddy, I'm talking about Jesus. You know, like, I'm not trying to like force you into some awkward, weird thing. What, what I'm hoping is that one, you will be creative, but two, that it will just be something that leaks out of your life. That, that you're so in love with Jesus, that you're so astounded like I am, that he would save a chump like me, that he would forgive all of the things that I have done past, present, and future, that he would give me hope, not only for this life here, but for the future, that it couldn't help but come out. And if you really struggle with ideas, we've put this resource together. It's called Life Houses. And it's just ideas for how you and your family can engage your neighbors with the gospel. So like these are out in the, out in the foyer. It's filled with really awesome ideas. 
We had some friends over last night from, uh, like, we were on our porch swinging, and uh, the wolves from down the street were, you know, walking by with their newborn. And I said to Linda, I said, man, we should really invite them over. Like, we just need to step out and do it. So Logan runs down in the, runs down in the yard. He goes, my dad wants you to come over for dinner. <laughs> and they're like, they're like, uh, we, all, we ate, we ate already. And so I'm running down after him. I, I meant, like, maybe in a couple days. <laughs> But it was great, like he just moved the conversation right past maybe to this is happening. He must have read the Lifehouse book, just do it, right? So he went down and did that and we had the wolves over last night and had a great time. And we're looking forward to building that relationship with them in hopes that we can share the good news with them. I, w- I just wonder for you, like where, where are you at? Are you so in love with Jesus and so empowered by the Holy Spirit that you're sharing the gospel everywhere that you go? That's the first thing that Paul does. He's even in jail with a guy tied to him and he's sharing the gospel. And when he shares the gospel, the whole Roman guard there starts to believe. And you and I have the same Holy Spirit within us. Four parts of a great chapter. Holy Spirit-powered evangelism. Number two, Holy Spirit-empowered church planting. If we continue to look at the story of Acts, in Acts 13, there's a group of people in Antioch, and it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And what happens is Barnabas and Saul, listen, it's, it becomes Paul, right? Barnabas and Paul, listen, and they go out on what's called the first missionary journey. And what they do is they go all over the ancient Middle East, and they start to share this news of Jesus Christ with people, both Jew and Gentile. And what happens is people believe, and when people start to believe, they can come together and form a, a, a community that's called a church. And they didn't have fancy buildings or cool programs. They just were awed and amazed by this Jesus that would love them. And so they would hang out in houses, and they would talk about Jesus, and they would sing songs, and they would pray and then Paul and Barnabas would leave and they'd go to another town and they would share the gospel. And these little church plants started to crop up everywhere. It is the model of the New Testament church. And as the leaders of, of those churches discipled one another, they would plant still more churches. Listen to this. By the time the Roman Empire fell in the 5th century, the end of the 5th century, what had started with this handful of guys, right? It was actually, the Bible tells us about 120 in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came, had become the dominant religion in the Roman Empire. Estimates of, of uh, the, 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 the numbers in the Roman Empire were about 90 million. So in just a few, just a few hundred years, this group of 120 people, because of the empowering of the Holy Spirit, sharing the gospel with others and planting churches, have multiplied until they have taken over the dominant religion in the Roman Empire. And that happens by church planting, because it's all about multiplication. If you ever talk to Pastor Rick way back in the day in the, in the late 80s when CVC was planted here, part of the vision statement was CVC was a church plant. I don't know if you knew that. It was planted here. Uh, by a church down in the Dayton area, and now we have grown, and so we go and we plant other churches, and we're realizing the vision. Pastor Rick said, I want to be a church plant that plants other churches, and that's what we continue to do. If you look at our budget, we, we support church planters all over Northeast Ohio because statistically, church planting is one of the best ways to grow the kingdom. 
Because if you're out there, right, let's say you work in North Olmsted or you work in Parma or you travel globally and you're interacting with people and you win them to Christ. Now, where are they going to go? Are they going to say, hey, drive two hours to my church? Probably not. Now, we're a regional church, but like we still like, like we want people plugged in where they live. And so like if you have friends in Sandusky, right, they're probably not going to drive into CVC and it meets people at different areas of their life. Like honestly, like our, our, our church, we are growing in our multicultural, uh, uh, you know, we have multiple cultures, people from different backgrounds and socioeconomic statuses, uh, but there are still some people who look at this church and go, I want to go there. So what's the answer? We plant a church that they want to go to, right? There are people all over the city, Northeast Ohio, that are planting different churches to meet people where they're at. And so we want to be a church who plants churches. And you might be asking, why not just make our church bigger? Or there are tons of churches already. Why do we need more? Or all those churches that aren't doing very good, why don't we help them? Statistically, that is a losing battle. Uh, We have seen over and over and over again as missiologists and church uh, researchers have found uh, that trying trying to revamp old churches is so difficult because people are already stuck in their ways. And so we plant new churches. We're going to put some resources on our blog this week. You can go to cvcblog.org and you can check out some of our arguments for why church planting is important. I'm thankful that Barnabas and Paul and the others listened to the Holy Spirit and went and planted churches, who in turn planted more churches because uh, if you know anything about compound interest, that's the way to grow, right? If we just hang out here and like we grow our church to a couple thousand, like great, but if we can plant a couple hundred churches that in turn have a couple hundred in them, we're doing a little bit more to kick back the gates of hell. And so how can you do that? Like I'm saying, hey, everybody, plant a church. No. Some of you ought to. There are some of you in here, and if I can catch anybody's eye, I'm going to. No. Some of you in here, some of you in here, God is called to plant a church because you engage with people in a certain way. Some of you, maybe God is calling uh, to go back to school and do seminary. But some of you, some of you need to, you, you have some extra income, and so you tithe here, and I'm just going to ask you, would you use some of it to, to support our church plants? There's a booklet out of the information desk. You can find out about our church planners. They're all over the place doing all kinds of awesome things. And we support them with our budget, but you can too. You can link in, email them, find out what they're doing, pray for them. See, hey, how, hey, could I come down once a month and help you guys? And we might call on some of you here sometime soon to not be an attender at CVC. We might say, hey, if you live in Parma and we're planning a church in Parma, we'd like you to go there and start that church. And... <gasps> I want to come to CVC, right? Those things are coming down the pike. Church plants are continuing to grow and see our strategy realized. And we need to be a church who is not only about it corporately, but about church planting individually, because that's what we see consistently grows the kingdom. Four parts of a great, cha- of a great chapter. We need to be about Holy Spirit evangelism, Holy Spirit church planting, and then Holy Spirit empowered disciple making. Later in Paul's life, uh, he actually writes a few letters to some of the leaders, some of the guys who he's left at these church plants. One of, left at these church plants. One of the guy's names is Timothy, and the other is Titus. And here's what he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. 
A good soldier of Christ Jesus, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In the second chapter of Titus, he gives the same instructions even more clearly to the women. See here, regardless of where you are in life, regardless of where you are in your Christian walk, we all have this responsibility, this example to follow of personal discipleship, of helping those who are younger or less experienced than we are grow in their relationship with Jesus. I mean, think about all of the other things in life. How did you learn to cook? Or how did you learn to ride a bike? Or how did you learn how to fix a car or dribble a basketball or do long division? Right? Somebody who knows how to do those things taught you. That, that, that's how life works. And yet as a church, like not this church, but I'm saying globally as a church, we have fallen into this, like I just need to do this on my own and then go to the big church corporate setting. And we've missed some of these small, intimate, in-betweeny steps, namely a life group, which is a good in-between step where you can get care and accountability and grow. But then I would also argue that uh, there should be groups of us Smaller groups where we're digging into the Bible and teaching one another as well. And you might say, I don't have a lot to offer. I don't have a lot to bring to the game. That's your job, Joe. You, you teach all of us. And my response would be, if your plan is for the pastoral staff of the church to disciple all of you, we couldn't even do this service, much less the others. We have to be a church who is about smaller communities of life groups and interpersonal discipleship. I just want to challenge, here's, here's, here's a challenge. Like, you don't have to be polished and perfect and some super awesome, you know, uh, Bible scholar to disciple somebody. You just have to be willing to open your life and open your Bible. And so, here's my challenge to you. My challenge to you this week is to pray and ask the Lord for two or three people that you might say, hey, let's get together and let's start doing life together. Oh, I have so much to do. Yeah, clear it out, right? Like all this other stuff that we have needs to take a back seat, right? Discipleship is vitally important to the life of the church because here's what would happen, okay? If you went and you pulled three people and you grabbed them and you said, hey, we're gonna do life together, and we're going to learn from the Bible together. I'm going to teach you some of the things that God has taught me over the years about being a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad or a person in the business world or whatever it happens to be. And you say, and after that year, we're going we're gonna to launch you guys out. So then you three are going to then go and I want each of you to take three. Here's what would happen. Here are the stats. I hope my math isn't wrong, right? If you did that, by the end of three years, because of exponential growth, out of that first meeting, you will have discipled 243 people. Not bad numbers, right? If every year those three take another three and you split off and take another three and take another three, 243, and that's if you just sit back and go, done. But if while those three are going out, you take another three, and launch them. And then year three, you take another three and launch them out. By the end of five years, you're going to be inching up on 400 people. I'm telling you folks, that is the kind of legacy that you want to leave. You guys are in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. That's the kind of legacy that you want to leave. You know, I think some, some of you who have come to faith in Christ late in life, you might go, ah, like, I don't have a whole lot to offer. I, you know, I wasted so many years. Like, well, don't waste the next years. 
Don't waste the next five. Don't waste the next 10. Go find some young men, some young women, and plug them in. Hey, shout out real quick. The Momtourage crew is doing it, right? I'm super excited. If you don't know about Momtourage, it is the picture-perfect, you know, discipleship model. We have ladies who have done the whole mom thing who are little, they're, they're, they're uh, like a fine wine, right? They've aged a little bit, and they've gotten better. And now we have these young moms who are like, ah, children everywhere. And they come here and the older women disciple the younger women just like Titus 2 says. And they encourage them. And like then they babysit and they do all kinds of awesome things. They eat delicious food. I smell it from my office. But we need more of that. We need more intentional discipleship. So you folks that are older, that's what Jesus does. He doesn't sit back and wait for people to come to him. He goes, I want you, I want you, I want you. Let's go, we're gonna do something special. Go do it this week. Pray about it, go do it. Hey, I am, yeah, I've been here for 12 years. I've had one man that has ever sought me out for personal discipleship. One guy. He's in the room today. Kind of excited, I won't point him out. One guy ever, and actually recently, I just stepped away from that group on a weekly basis to say, I'm gonna grab another three. And I'm still gonna meet with him on a monthly basis and grab another three and see if we can't keep this thing rolling. Holy Spirit empowered discipleship. We have to do this because again, it is about multiplication, not about addition. Final part of a great chapter. Holy Spirit empowered unreached reaching. That was probably super confusing. I'm gonna explain though. Prior to Paul's coming to Rome, he had written a letter to the church there. It's called the letter to the Romans. And in this letter, he says, by the power of signs and wonders and by the spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. He has this passion. He says elsewhere that he wants to go to Spain and elsewhere to take the good news of Jesus Christ. And you see that Paul is doing the first three steps, personal evangelism, church planting, discipleship within those church plants, but then he adds another piece to it, namely to continue to go and share the good news, not with just the people who've already heard, but with those who have not yet been reached. And it's been a thrill for me to see the people of CVC grow together in a heart and passion for the unreached. And so I want to try to throw some gasoline on that this morning. If you don't know what I mean when I say unreached, what I mean is uh, any people group in the world that is less than 2% evangelical, okay? Missiologists define any people group as less than 2% evangelical as unreached. They just don't have enough people concentrated to actually evangelize their own people, generally in places that are overcome with other religions, Hinduism, Islam, and others. And not only are there unreached, they're also unengaged people groups, which not only are they not reached, but there's no missions agency or church trying to reach them. And so I want to show you some numbers real quick. 
Here's the first number, 11,500. That is the number of unreached people groups in the world. So the 7 billion people in the world are divided into 11,500 people groups. Here's the next number, 6,808. That is the number of people groups that have yet to be reached with the gospel. That's more than half. More than half of the world's population does not have access to the gospel or has yet to be reached with it. Here's the final number, 3,058. That's the number of people groups that are still unengaged, meaning not only are they unreached, there's not a church, a missions organization, anything that is taking the gospel to them. They're just out there without any knowledge of the hope that is found in Jesus Christ and We're not okay with that at CVC. We have an unfinished task that Paul and the others have left to us, and CVC continues to be on the front lines and passionate about taking the gospel to the unreached, about investing our time and our money and our talents and our people. We're passionate about missions, particularly to the unreached world. And I want to share a story with you. Maybe you've heard it, but it is worth repeating. The Enzima people are a people in Ghana, West Africa, and there are about 300,000 people in that people group. And in order to be evangelized, to be, I think it's called under-evangelized, you have to get to the 2% mark. And then partially evangelized is anywhere between 2% and 10% Christian. And then if you get over 10%, you are significantly reached. The Enzima people in the year 2000 were unreached and unengaged. There was nobody taking the gospel to them. And as a church, we adopted the Enzima people group. And we're still sending teams there. This is some of the pictures from our team that went this year. The Enzima people today, August 28th, 2016, are no longer unreached. They're not under-evangelized. They're not even partially reached. The Enzima people are significantly reached. In fact, the stats are that the Enzima people are 24% evangelical Christian, and we have been a part, yeah. We have been a part of planting over 50 churches. And not only are we planting the churches, but we've put money and time and resources into training their pastors who were then training other pastors who continue to plant churches. And so we started that seed. We followed Paul's example. And now West Africa is beginning to evangelize itself with the gospel. We continue to go back and do medical missions there and empower and encourage. There is actually a West Ghana Baptist convention because there are so many churches and so many leaders that they had to organize. But now we have set our sights on a new unreached people group. We're excited about what God is doing with the Enzima people, and we keep sending them there. But we've set our sights on a new unreached people group, and we've set the bar a little bit higher. While the Enzima people were about 300,000, the new group, the Soli people on on, uh, Pearl Island in Southeast Asia are 3 million people. 3 million people, and they're unreached. Our people on the ground would say there are between 50 and 100 believers. And in order for them to be reached with the gospel, in order for them to to move from unreached to under-evangelized, we need to see 60,000 believers on that island. And you might go, whoa. And to that I go, 
that's a really good place to be. Because we're not the main character in the story. Right? The Holy Spirit is the main character in the story. And I believe with all my heart that the Holy Spirit is going to continue to do what he continues to do on Pearl Island. If we will continue to send teams and send money and invest our resources there, that we will hear more stories of what happened this summer. We sent three teams this summer on short-term trips. We also sent two guys from our college ministry that were there for two whole months and they're walking up to people. They walked up to, to a guy at a pineapple, uh, not a pineapple, a coconut stand to get coconut. They, you know, cut the top off. You can drink milk. And for some reason, he had a shirt that had a Bible verse on it. Who knows where he got it? And the guy said, hey, do you know what that means? And they began to share the good news. And by the end of the day, that young man had put his faith in Jesus Christ. And we're beginning to see that happen all over the island. We have had several people be baptized this summer. And so what am I asking of you? I'm asking for you to have a heart for the unreached. And I think I said this last time I was up here preaching and probably the time after that. We need to be a people who are not only about personal evangelism here, about people who are not only about church planting here and about discipleship here, but about seeing it done all over the world that the number of worshipers of Jesus in the world might be raised. And so I'm asking you to invest your time. I'm asking you to take weeks of vacation and use them for the purposes of gospel proclamation across the world instead of going to wherever you go. I'm asking you to not buy the new car and invest your money instead in missions work. I'm asking you, parents, I'm pleading with you not to hold back your kids from what God has for them, but if they want to go to the nations, Push them out there with your blessing and with your dollars. Because here's the kicker, folks. Here's why all of this matters. Because we know the end of the story. This chapter that we're writing here with our lives is not open-ended. We know the end of the story. God has revealed to us in the book of Revelation what will happen in the end. And what we see is a group of people from every tribe and tongue and nation around the world before the throne of Jesus Christ worshiping him. And so why do we go to Pearl Island? Why do we go to Africa and to Mexico and to the Ukraine? We go because we are confident that there are people there who will believe. We have a guarantee, a biblical guarantee that they will believe because there will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation. The Bible says myriads upon myriads and thousands of thousands that no one can number. And you and I have been given the pen to write this little chapter of the story knowing full well that if we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, what we attempt to do will come about. Failure's not even possible. That's a killer guarantee. And so we go. We do it here, and we do it to the ends of the earth. We go, like this song is going to say, we go with the fire of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes in the second chapter of Acts, the Bible says there were little flames, tongues of fire 
over their heads to let them know that he had come. And we go to love the world. By gospel, sorry, by Holy Spirit-empowered evangelism, Holy Spirit-empowered church planting, Holy Spirit-empowered disciple-making, and Holy Spirit-empowered unreached reaching. My fear, church, is that too often we're relying on our own strength and our own strategies to reach our neighbors and our city and our world. My fear is that we're using the wisdom of man, and when we use the wisdom of man, what comes with it is the fear of man. And we're making choices for ourselves and for our families and our children that are based on what we think might be right or what we think might be safe or what we think might be easy. And my fear is that we have set up our lives and our jobs and our families and our houses and our activities and our plans so that we can manage them on our own. That needs, honestly, no special movement from the Holy Spirit. And I wonder, looking at our church, I wonder if Stephen, the martyr, would say the same thing that he said to those in Acts 7 and 8. You stiff-necked people, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit. Oh, CVC, that we would see with clear eyes the need that we have for the Holy Spirit to empower everything that we do. That we might see with fresh eyes that our feeble attempts to, you, to, to, to yield spiritual fruit are worthless. CVC, that we might yearn both individually and as a community for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit fresh and new into our own lives and to the life of our church that we have not yet experienced, that we would be a people who wake up every day reliant on the Holy Spirit, listening to the Holy Spirit, and being obedient to the Holy Spirit. Because this is the only way that your chapter, that my chapter, that the chapter that CVC is writing collectively, the chapter of your family, the chapter of your life group will make any difference in the world. It's the only way that we will pass down our faith successfully from generation to generation. It is the only way that we will be bold and effective and passionate in our evangelism. Being empowered by the Holy Spirit is the only way that we'll be willing to invest our time and our money and our talents and maybe even where we live in order to support new church plants. It is only with the power of the, Holy of the Holy Spirit that we will clear our schedules out to make time to disciple others. And it was, it'll be only with the power of the, of the Holy Spirit that we will have the guts to take the gospel to the unreached. And so, here we are at the end of Acts, at the end of the voyage, Paul is continuing to do what the Holy Spirit had set him out to do. And he stands there with the pen, holding it out to you individually, and holding it out to us collectively, saying, what is going to be next? And only you can answer that question. Let's pray. God, my prayer is that we would be a people who are so reliant on the Holy Spirit that when we step out in our flesh, we can physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually feel the weakness 
inside of us. I pray that we would be a people that when we try to do anything on our own, we would see clearly the epic failure that it is. I pray, Lord, that we would be a church and a people that daily would be reliant on you, that would be obedient to the voice and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we would look to your word for guidance and that we would obey it. That we would clear our schedules out, that we would clear our budgets out, that we would be people who would leave a lasting legacy of gospel proclamation, church planting, discipleship, and reaching the unreached. Only you can birth that in our hearts. So would you do it? Would you do something in us that we cannot conjure up on our own and send us out like you did Paul, Peter, and the others to do amazing things that thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands would believe that we would join them in the end around the throne saying worthy is the lamb. In your name we pray. Amen.